0: The following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. One of my favorite stories in American business is my pillow. It's also one of my favorite products. I have about eight or nine of them. When I saw Mike Wendell's first commercial, I said, this is really cool. This guy invented a pillow, created a production in America, in Minnesota, hired all Americans, all American products, put it on TV. This is an amazing American story. So I bought a couple of his pillows. I then bought two more for my uh, tour bus. I bought four or five of the travel ones for my plane. I have my pillows everywhere, and I even have one in my wardrobe box that travels with me on set. No matter what hotel I stay in, I have my my pillow. It's truly an amazing pillow, and it's incredible. I don't have to fold it anymore, I don't have to fold it in half. There's no more flat, lifeless pillows. It truly changed my life. So I'm letting you know. You need to get a my pillow. Well, not my pillow, but you need to get your own my pillow. And here's why. It stays cool all night long. There's no more waking up at three AM to flip to the cool side. It keeps its shape and it really does. There's no more reshaping your pillow in the middle of the night. It comes with a sixty day money back guarantee. Try it. If you don't like it, you return it. And my pillow comes with a ten year warranty. Do you have a pillow that comes with a ten year warranty? I don't think so. You can toss a my pillow in your washer and dryer and it's like new again. Try doing that with your pillow and see what happens. And KC, the best part of it is it's made in America. So I'm endorsing this, buddy. If you get a MyPillow, I know you will love it. So everybody should go to MyPillow.com, click on a buy one, get one free special, and use code TAFFER, and you'll get one free pillow when you buy one at regular price plus shipping. Take advantage of their best offer. Go to MyPillow.com, click on buy one, get one free special, and enter promo code TAFR. I know you'll be happy you did. is no excuses with john taffer i'm john taffer best-selling author bar rescue guru and soon your new best friend i've got a lot of shit for us to talk about so stop making excuses and let's get started because this gets real
1: right now all the way from the studios at podcast one here's john taffer
0: here we are the halloween edition you didn't realize that casey this is our halloween edition <laughs> of my No Excuses podcast with John Taffer. Great to be here, everybody. Before we even get going, make sure you hit the subscribe button at Apple Podcasts or go to podcast1.com or the Podcast One app, and you'll get your new episodes automatically. Every Monday night, you wake up every Tuesday morning, and whammo, there they are. This has been a great week for me, and this week I have a good friend of mine, Rick Harrison, who you all know from the television show Pawn Stars, which was one of the most successful television reality shows of all time. I think Rick's up to 200 and 500 and some odd episodes in 10 years. And Rick is a good friend of mine lives here in Las Vegas and has a fascinating background uh, in the pawn business and other businesses before he even did uh, the television show Pawn Stars. So we have Rick here today. We have great audience calls. And, and uh, Casey, this last week might have been one of the greatest weeks ever in my career. Really? One, you know, I'm partners in uh, the Frey Ranch Distillery in Fallon, Nevada. And if any of you don't know what that is, our our bourbon comes out this spring. We're pretty excited about it. It's been aging four years. We have about 2,900 barrels of bourbon aging in our uh, barrel house. And we're really excited. Our Frey Ranch bourbon just got tested. It got rated really well by all the whiskey masters. And now we're working on the brand story and all the branding elements and the labeling elements. And anybody who's curious... I uh, can Google Frey Ranch Distillery. It's in Fallon, Nevada. But it's really exciting, Casey, to do all the branding work and all the messaging and the labeling and the bottling design. And we're doing all that right now. And that's really exciting because the whiskey tested so high. And, you know, it's interesting. When you when you go into a business uh, like distilling, it's not vodka. Where you make it, put it in a bottle, you taste it that day. You have to age it for four years. So you could invest millions of dollars of something that four years later – could suck. <laughs> you don't know it. So, so in our case, we grow all the grains ourselves. They're genetically perfect. We, we uh, uh, harvest, we malt, we distill, we bottle. Uh, we own the term ground to glass. So we've really controlled the process and we know you know quality in, quality out. It's the best in the world. And, but still, until those whiskey masters taste it, you're sweating bullets. And uh, we did great. So I'm really, really excited about that. And I'm not allowed to say the company name because on many of our consulting projects, we sign non-disclosures. But uh, our consulting unit just today opened up a food unit, a prototype pilot unit in the largest hardware retailer in the world. They have over 2,000 stores. And we just opened a pilot unit today that we're testing for 120 days and modifying. And then uh, we're developing a whole rollout for their company of 2,200 stores. I'm pretty excited about that one. And it opened just this morning, Casey. So wow. as we talk, people are reading food in Kansas City at our, at our pilot unit. And then here's the biggie. And I can't say the name of the story yet. I think I can next week. But I just want to get clearance before I do. Monday, I got notification that I've been working on a product line, Casey, called Taffer Mixology. Wow. And Taffer Mixology is a line of seven cocktail mixers that are made from truly the finest ingredients and everything is cold-pressed and handcrafted. And We're talking outstanding margarita mixes, strawberry daiquiri mixes, Cosmo mixes, Bloody Mary mixes. And I've been working on it with some of the greatest mixologists in the country. And uh, last Monday morning, right after I did this podcast, I got a phone call that one of the largest retailers in the world picked up the Taffer Mixology line. The next morning, I got another notification that that same retail store is taking all seven flavors, which doesn't often happen. And then Wednesday morning, I got a phone call that they ordered 600,000 units. Wow. Wow! So pretty big week so far. <laughs> so I got Frey Ranch kicking in. We got the uh, uh, opening in Kansas City. We got the Taffer Mixology entering into retail stores. And then the last one, and I can't say where, but I think we can next week. And I'm sorry to keep everybody so secretive, but sometimes I just want to tell you what I can tell you. So the first ever Taffer Bar in Las Vegas will open on the Strip, and we expect it to open uh, late February, early March. We just finished that up. So a big week between Frey Ranch, the few food unit opening in Kansas City, the Taffer Mixology, and the Taffer Bar, and uh, what that last week, man? Can you believe it? You've
2: been, You've been, been a busy guy, John.
0: Well, you know, it's interesting. It all came together last week, but these, every one of these I've been working on for years. And then Thursday morning, I take off. I'm going back to Puerto Rico. Uh, And you know how much Puerto Rico means to me, Casey. After Operation Puerto Rico, the bar rescue episode, and uh, saving the town with Luisa, and really developing a strong relationship with the people of Puerto Rico, I start filming my new television show. It's not bar rescue. It's a relationship-based show. And it is a rescue type of a format. But I start shooting my new show. I fly out to Puerto Rico Thursday, for a month and I'm shooting six episodes of my new show for Paramount I'm pretty darn excited about it and after uh, shooting almost 200 episodes of Bar Rescue it's nice to do something different I bet and create a whole new show and a whole new format so I get to work on that but don't worry everybody Uh, uh, second week in January we go back and we start producing more (laughs) Bar Rescues too and for those who've been asking the uh, uh, new episodes of Bar Rescue will premiere in mid-January and the new show that I'm working on will premiere in April So uh, it's been a busy couple of weeks for me and a great couple of weeks. So Kiss, the rock band Kiss. Ah, Some people like Kiss. Some people don't. Some people like the makeup. Some people don't. Some people think Gene Simmons is great. Some people think he's an ass. I get all that. But Kiss is retiring uh, 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 next month after 45 years. Kiss might be one of the greatest business stories in music. When you look at KISS merchandise licenses, right, costuming licenses, all of the businesses that they've built around their brand is truly remarkable. If anyone ever has the fortune to go to Gene Simmons' office, you'll see there's probably three or four thousand dolls and KISS products of every type you can possibly imagine in his office. KISS has always been a rock and roll business machine. And it's incredible. Some may argue they're not musically the greatest band in the world, or the greatest musicians. And some people argue they have a gimmick with all their makeup and their act. But you know what? When it comes to branding, execution of brand, being true to their brand, learning how to exploit their brand merchandise their brand profit from their band and these guys have sold probably more t-shirts and action figures and dolls than anybody but never were they ever perceived as a sellout so those of you that are interested in the rock and roll world and interested in the whole premise of branding music and branding in general the story of kiss is a great one the band the branding the imagery the brand messaging, the consistency, and the business model that they created, uh, 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 I think that's why KISS is so wealthy and why they've kept their brand so relevant for all these years is because they're out there in so many ways. So I suggest that every student of marketing, branding, merchandising, take a hard look at the KISS brand mm-hmm. and look <laughs> what they've created over these years because it's pretty remarkable. But we're going to be saying goodbye to them on stage, I guess, KC.
2: Yeah, but
0: yeah. We're going to be seeing KISS merchandise and things that look and feel like KISS for a long, long time.
2: And, and actually, John, on their, on their Twitter, they just announced that they have their final tour ever, the End of the Road Tour, and those tickets go on sale tomorrow.
0: Tomorrow, and I think they're starting in Vancouver, right? hmm Yep. Great opportunity to see not only a great band, but an amazing set of business people who really took the whole premise of rock and roll branding to the next level. And you know, speaking of rock and roll branding, a dear, dear friend of mine, Joe Kimikau, who uh, we work together. Joe is is a, a licensing a genius. And Joe just introduced the first ever Beatles pinball machine. It was released last week. The Beatles have never done anything like this before. It took them years and years and years to get it done. And it's the most expensive pinball machine ever sold. And it's a Beatles pinball machine and, and Those of you interested should Google it online. It's the highest technology, coolest pinball machine of all time and probably the most expensive uh, uh, license in the pinball community in history because one does not get the Beatles brand very inexpensively. So my hat's off to my buddy Joe Kimiko on landing uh, the Beatles pinball machine. That's pretty exciting. So, you know, when you think about all the value of all these things in history, uh, 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 one of the most valuable pieces of Hollywood memorabilia, I think in my opinion, and I'm not sure if that's the case today so much, but it was for many years, were the ruby slippers from The Wizard of Oz. You remember those Casey? Oh, yeah. She clicked her heels together. A lot of people don't know this. Those were stolen from the Judy Garland Museum 13 years ago. So somebody did a snatch and run and actually <laughs> took off with the ruby slippers. Stole, stole suckers. Well, 13 years later, they found them, and uh, uh, so, so I thought this would make you feel good. The slippers are back on their way to the Smithsonian where they belong. It's interesting. The whole memorabilia world is fascinating, and today, you know, memorabilia is produced. They make three or four of something for a movie so that they can auction them off when they're finished. It's an unbelievable profit center, and I read in a newspaper the other day that, that Manson, of course, who died this past year, the horrible serial murderer, maybe one of the greatest, worst human beings who's ever lived on this planet. Manson died this year, and apparently his nephew sold his toe tag, his personal effects, and his bone ashes to the Mob Museum in Las Vegas. So if anybody wants to see Manson's toe tag come to the greatest destination in the world, the entertainment capital of the world,
2: Las Vegas, because we got it.
0: Can you believe it? Somebody actually <laughs> sold and bought his tote. Why,
2: why do all the strange things like that end up in Vegas?
0: Uh, I'm not quite sure about that, <laughs> but there's pretty wonderful things here in Vegas, yeah. too. But, right. There, there is an amazing collection of things here in Vegas. There's one is a human exhibit, which is a human body sliced really thin, and, and you can see every slice of your body, and of course, but there's really cool things here, like the Titanic exhibit and a lot of other things. All right. You're sitting home, Casey. You're relaxing in your Florida home. It's a beautiful afternoon. Maybe you're watching a little Sunday football and you hear this huge crash. You get up and you run into your kitchen or whatever room in the house the crash is. And there's this huge hole in your roof. Oh, no. And 15-pound ham sitting on your floor. (laughs) Where did that ham come from? Well, that's what they're trying to figure out because what I just described actually happened in Florida. A 15-pound ham... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <crashed> <laughs> into house, And they called it, quote, a big old hunk, of mysterious ham fell on my roof. And, 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 so no airplane is accepting responsibility for it. And, and, but, but, you know, a flying ham reminds me of the old joke. Good thing elephants don't fly, right? So, Casey, did you know that right now today, according to U.S. labor statistics, there are more jobs out there than people to fill them? Really? Isn't that scary? It is. Finding people is really, really difficult. That's why it's so important to find the right person. But where do you find that individual? You know, you can post a job on a job board and hope the right person will find your job. But think about it. How often do you hang out on job boards? Don't leave finding someone great to chance when you can post your job in a place where people really go every day to make their connections, grow their career, and discover job opportunities. And that's LinkedIn. Most LinkedIn members haven't recently visited the job board, but nine out of 10 members are open to new opportunities. And with 70 percent of the U.S. workforce on LinkedIn, posting on LinkedIn is the best way to get your job opportunity in front of more of the right people, people who are qualified for your role and ready for something new. It's the best way to find a person that'll really help you grow your business. And why every 10 seconds a new hire is made on LinkedIn because they're connecting great jobs with great people, so hurry to LinkedIn. dot com slash Taffer and get fifty dollars off your first job post. That's LinkedIn. dot com slash Taffer to get fifty dollars off your first job post. LinkedIn. dot com slash Taffer. Terms and conditions apply. Mashable. dot com is a fun website, and they, and they uh, 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 I hit it often because. You don't find many things that are going incha- to change or inspire your life on Mashable.com, but you can find a lot of funny things. And I found a great piece that they did on bizarre foods that came out this year and how the industry of, of uh, food production is really strange. So there's a couple of them in this article that I thought are pretty interesting. One was a Volcano Crispy Chicken Chips. And this was tested out by Taco Bell, and these were spicy triangular Fried chicken chips, and they tried it in Knoxville. Uh, uh, chicken chips didn't work. So then they went and they tried the naked chicken chalupa. And Taco Bell, about a week later, tested that, and that didn't work out. So then they turned it into a uh, chicken shell later on. But they did naked chicken chips, right, the chip version of naked <laughs> chicken chalupa. They tried it that way, and that didn't work. Then they tried uh, 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 these. Uh, uh, uh every other version of this fried chicken that you can imagine, and everyone failed. Burger King tried the Lucky Charm shake, which was – sounds actually pretty good. Vanilla ice cream, right, with some Lucky Charms in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 so I thought that sounded pretty good. And then McDonald's released Minion-themed food toys in Singapore, which was Minion-shaped potatoes, spicy chicken nuggets, and this and that. Then uh, Taco Bell, I think, takes the lead for innovative, strange food items. But KFC offered a $20,000 meteor-shaped zinger chicken sandwich on their website. Unbelievable. I wonder how many of those they sold. Taco (laughs) Bell introduced a firecracker burrito, and that actually did pretty well. It has pop rocks in it like the candy. So it pops in your mouth as you're eating it. And then finally... Taco Bell introduced the uh, egg taco, which is an egg shell, which is actually sort of a cool idea. Rather than the carbs, you wrap your uh, taco in an in egg shell. Oh, I do that, oh, yeah. I yeah. do that. And then 10th and the last one. Oh, no, there's a couple more. They listed was the Kit Kat quesadilla, mm-hmm. chocolate quesadilla, which actually doesn't sound too bad. KFC, this is a killer. I love this one. KFC gave away 100 fried chicken-scented bath bombs in Japan. You know those toilet cookies that that you hang in (laughs) urinals and stuff? So they actually created a toilet bowl fried chicken. So when you walk into the bathroom, it smells like fried chicken, which I'm guessing is better than the other smells that you (laughs) you typically would find in the bathroom, including those minty smells and all of that. Maybe you leave wanting some more fried chicken.
2: But do not eat it, right? Do not eat it.
0: Years ago in Bar Rescue, there was an episode where we installed this urinal game, and I forget what it was called, but that had targets in the urinal, and you peed. And as you peed, you got a higher score if you hit the targets correctly. And it was something like, you know, aim that hose or something. (laughs) But uh, 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 people bought it. People bought it. Okay, in the Rick and Morty's Szechuan sauce. McDonald's gave away a a Szechuan sauce. And lastly but least... Tim Horton, which is a very popular donut chain, saw to the Dunkin' Donuts of Canada, did a zesty buffalo, a buffalo wing coffee drink. In two stores, of course, they tried <laughs> it in Buffalo and it failed. Oh. The buffalo wing coffee just wasn't such a great that idea. That sounds horrible, John. So a good friend of mine, David Wells, who's a New York Yankee, and a, uh, uh, people may know David Wells. He pitched one of the last, I think, the last perfect game ever pitched by the Yankees. Uh, uh, Years ago, David has a whiskey and there's a bottle sitting on my desk called screwball, which is the pitch that he used to throw. And the whiskey is peanut butter flavored whiskey. Now, you think about it, say, oh, that's an interesting thing. I want to taste that. But uh, uh, those of you who are interested in new kind of whiskey should try David's product. And I have no involvement in it. It's uh, really peanut butter flavored whiskey. So uh, maybe he should try to sell it to Taco Bell because they seem a very likely buyer of things like that. All right. Last but not least, I got to talk about my buddy Elon Musk again. So now uh, uh, the SEC is investigating his production numbers for Tesla. What happened is this poor guy went on television, smoked a joint on television, talked about cannabis, made a comment about taking his company private. And, you know, violated something that I believe is one of the most important things when you take investor money, which is public trust. The words that he said, the things that he did caused the stock to tumble, then questioned whether he'll be able to stay in a company or not, which made the stock tumble more. And, and, you know, now he says his tweet is uh, uh, which cost him and the company apparently $20 million each was worth it. Which, if you're a shareholder in a company and that stock is down that much, how would you feel if he said it was worth it? (laughs) Meanwhile, your investment's down 30%. So, I find it interesting. And Oracle founder, Larry Ellison, has disclosed that he has a huge stake in Tesla. It's almost unwinding a little. Short sellers are suing Tesla uh, 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 because they're disappointed with the stock performance. And Gene Munster says if Tesla CEO Elon Musk didn't mess it up, the stock would be over $400 today. So every Tesla investor can say two things. They can say that their CEO who runs their company and manages their investment is a genius and he's aggressive. Look what he's achieved with SpaceX. Look what he's achieved with Tesla, the Tesla home battery system. I mean, the guy is a freaking genius. There's no question about it. But, you know, that type of a mind is a very independent thinker Obviously not a very controlled thinker, and you get the good with the bad. And it reminds me of a quick story. I remember very years ago, Casey, and I'm going to close on this one, buddy. I was in a huge fight with my network over something in Bar Rescue, something that that maybe wasn't quite as real as I wanted it to be. Okay. And and I would often fight. Sometimes production would try to create something fake, and I would resist it because there's nothing fake ever on Bar Rescue. So I got in a big argument. The show gets shut down, as it did three times, and I'm on the phone with the vice president of my network, which was then Spike. And she says to me, you know, why are you so difficult in this regard? And I made a comment. You, know, you hired a lion, and then when I roar, you don't like it. <laughs> you don't get one without the other. And with Musk, with the genius, comes loose lips. And let's hope that from, for all of his shareholders that the genius impact is greater than the loose lip impact and you know we're all along for the ride that he creates so uh, uh, interesting time in the stock market with it up and down and this whole political environment and you know Musk shouldn't be adding to the controversy of his stock he should be making people comfortable about their investment in his stock and the movement of the company anyway so a lot of stuff going on this week Uh, 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 real exciting and lastly you know the state of Virginia passed a law that said that kids over 12 can't trick or treat. What? What? Oh yeah, the state of Virginia passed a law that says children over 12 years old are not allowed to trick or treat and apparently there's some type of a, apparently there's some type of a criminal fine or a ticket or something that they get if they're over 12. And it's interesting how you enforce a law against children like that and what are they going to do to the 14 year old if they see, are they going to handcuff him and throw him in a paddy wagon? So, I'm very interested to see what happens in Virginia this Halloween. And so, Casey, can you put on a costume and go out with your kid? You're over 12.
2: I can, actually.
0: <laughs> so so it, it's a bizarre thing that, you know, now the government is regulating who can trick-or-treat. Uh, uh, and uh, let's see how the heck they enforce that. So I'm going to be watching the news uh, a day after Halloween to see what happens in Virginia. I want to just take a quick second and thank uh, uh, my sponsors because they mean a lot to us, KC. You know, Bet BetDSI, MyPillow, Quicken Loans, True Car, and LinkedIn. Without all of our great sponsors, we wouldn't be here. And, and uh, uh, that's what gives us all the resources to put forth this podcast. So I ask all of you, if, if, if you're in the market for any of those products, think of the sponsors that support our show. They're great sponsors. They're good people. We wouldn't have them on the show. So, as you can see, Casey, this has been a really exciting week for me, buddy, and and, uh, 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 between the Mixology program, Frey Ranch, the Taffer Bar, uh, uh, the food unit opening in Kansas City, it's exciting. I'm not only excited about those things, I'm pretty excited about my guest this week. You know, Rick Harrison is a household name. Everybody knows who Rick is. Uh, He's the creator and star of the uh, television show Pawn Stars, which is one of the most famous and successful reality shows of all time i've done 203 episodes of bar rescue rick has done over 500 episodes of pawn stars and it's a great story how he created the concept but rick was an entrepreneur and when he was young he read a book uh uh, uh, on schemes and when he was very young he realized wow i want to have schemes to make money And he would buy things and sell them. And at a very young age, Rick was all about entrepreneurship and how to make money. And for that reason, I really wanted Rick to come on our podcast, not to talk about his TV career, but to really talk about how he got to where he is in business and then how he got porn stars on TV, which is an amazing story in itself. So when we come back, I'll be with my buddy, Rick Harrison.
1: Don't shut down this podcast yet. No Excuses with John Taffer continues next. Want to talk to John? Email him now at podcast at johntaffer.com.
0: Well, we're deep into football now, Casey. You excited?
2: Oh, man. I'm, well, my Raiders are losing, but yes. I'm, <laughs> I'm
0: well, your Raiders are losing, but they're making a big move. So when the Raiders come to Vegas, you know, a whole thing changes. They've oh, got yeah. that Golden Knights history to slip into now. Oh, yeah. But I'll tell you, boy, you know, we're right into the middle of the season, and you could make your pigskin knowledge take you to the bank, buddy, with betdsi.com. BetDSI is celebrating 20 years online, and they've built an impeccable reputation for great service and fast payment of your winnings. And to help you get started with some extra bang for your buck, BetDSI is offering double your money on your first deposit. That's right, you can deposit and start winning and get up to $2,500 free. That's double your money right from the get-go. So when it comes to football, BetDSI has. Every wager you could ever want or imagine. If it's happening, BetDSI will put a line on it. You can bet on NFL, NCAA football, MLB, NBA, UFC, eSports, and other global sports. You can even bet on politics, celebrities, and reality shows for that matter. Don't bet on me, KC. But you can also bet on the games while they are playing with BetDSI's live betting. So join BetDSI today using promo code TAFFER101, and you already won by doubling your bankroll straight away. That's promo code TAFFER101 to get any action and get paid. And once you become a member with all the sweet bonus money, you got to join the BetDSI 2018 Handicappers Cup. That's BetDSI Hit the promo code TAFFER101. Support for No Excuses comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. Let's talk about buying a home. It can be one of the most important purchases you'll ever make. But today's fluctuating interest rates can leave you with unexpected higher payments, which can turn a great experience into an anxious one. That's why Quicken Loans created their exclusive power buying process. Here's how it works. They check your income, assets, and credit to give you a verified approval. This gives you the strength of a cash buyer, making your offer more attractive to sellers. Once verified, you qualify for their exclusive rate shield approval. They'll lock your interest rate for up to 90 days while you shop for your new home. Then once you've found the one, if rates have gone up, your rate stays the same. But if rates have gone down, you get to keep that new lower rate. Either way, you win, buddy. It's the kind of thinking you'd expect from America's largest mortgage lender. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash taffer. Rate shield approval only valid on certain 30 day purchase transactions. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply based on Quicken Loans data in comparison to public data records, equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, NMLS consumer access.org number 3030.
1: Tapper is back. This is No Excuses with John Tapper.
0: Every once in a while, I get to. Uh, Bring a guest in on my podcast who I have a personal affection for, not only as an individual, but whose story just fascinates me. And Rick Harrison is one of those people. And in full disclosure, Rick and I are friends. We've had dinner together. We've met each other's wives. We both live in Las Vegas. We both have reality shows. So we got a lot in common. But Rick's story is unbelievable to me and inspirational. Hey, buddy.
1: Hey, how's it going?
0: Good, good. Really good to have you here. I've been trying to get you on for weeks. I want everybody to know your story because it's an amazing story. You were born in North Carolina. Yep. And uh, uh, as a kid, when you were younger, you had migraine headaches.
1: Well, I mean, like, uh, no, so when I was two years old, my family uh, moved to San Diego. My dad was in the Navy. Um, When I was eight years old, I developed epilepsy. Uh, There was a few articles that came out and they just wanted to play down the epilepsy thing for some reason no i i had epilepsy when i was a kid I had really violent seizures uh-huh. there was times where um violent enough where i'd be i couldn't walk for two weeks as a
0: result of that and this is where i'm going it isn't about the epilepsy per se you started reading
1: oh, oh yeah i mean because you know my dad's in vietnam my mom's trying to sell real estate on the side you know we're uh, we we got a house, but we're literally moving my uh, my aunt in and her kids because my uncle's in Vietnam and just wow. to, just to pay the rent. Navy family. Uh, my dad was Air Force. I was uh, my dad was Navy. You know, so I'm really sick all the time. There's one TV in the house. And remember, this is 1973. There's yeah. there's three TV stations, and there's definitely nothing for a kid to watch during the day. So mom went to the library, got me some books, um, and it was sort of like Kismet. It was a it was a series of books by John D. Fitzgerald called. The Great Brain. It was about an eight-year-old kid growing up in Utah who declared to the world that he had a great brain ba- and had all these all these schemes to make money.
0: <laughs> so at a young age then, that put you in sort of a mindset though, didn't yeah. it? So would you say that those books helped you sort of become the Rick Harrison that you are today?
1: Um, yeah, a little bit. And I uh, I fell in love with reading. I mean, I literally, even when I was, I remember being like, 10 years old and my older brother saying, well, are you guys watching TV? You should read more. It's, you know, it's a lot better. And he punches me. Uh, (laughs) That's what big brothers do.
0: (laughs) But you have always been very entrepreneurial. I mean, you'll get into new deals, new opportunities. You've got got the restaurant that I know of. You have other business things that you do.
1: Oh, yeah. I have a publishing company, a production company. I got the punch. I mean, um, I think that
0: goes back to those books when you were a little boy.
1: Maybe it does. I mean, I just, uh, I mean, I just always believed in the philosophy, you know, find a hole in the market and fill it. I mean, one of the, you know, here's here's a few little things, for example. When my son uh, was born, my ex-wife, you know, she calls me up when he's born and, like, goes, "Um, I was just watching Oprah, and they got these really cool baby bottles for infants. Will you order me two of them? And I'm going, like, hold on a second. Is this this a new episode of Oprah? She's going, yeah, yeah. And you're a new mom, first kid, and you like these bottles so much you want to order them right away. So, yeah, like so. Like fifteen months later, I know it sounds crazy that a pawn shop wants five thousand baby bottles, but I need five thousand. <laughs> I put every one of them on eBay, made made like an extra fifteen grand that month. Wow, yeah, and I have a hundred different stories like that.
0: So you're very opportunistic when you see something. Your brain says, "Okay, how can I turn this into a money making scheme?"
1: Back to Fitzgerald. Yeah, I mean, yeah, F- find a uh, hole in the market and fill it, and you you can make money.
0: When you were young, when you were fourteen years old or so, where did you live then? Were you already in Vegas?
1: No, I was in San Diego when it was sixteen, uh, nineteen eighty one. My dad my mom and dad were in the real estate business. Uh everything went crazy. you know, real estate market went to hell. Yep. We we moved to the land of milk and honey. Uh my dad had just retired from the Navy. And uh, he opened up a little coin shop and I helped him out and uh, did a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and then um we ended up opening the pawn shop together and uh Eighty-eight, and rest is sort of history. And I've done a million other little things.
0: So, when you were fourteen years old or so in San Diego, if I had go back to that time, what did you want to be?
1: I had no idea because, like I said, I had epilepsy, and back then you know, there's there's no internet, there's no research on it, or anything like that. You know, so you thought you had limitations? Oh no, I, I thought I, th- I thought I had a really limited lifespan, right? Um, because I had met other kids with epilepsy who died, you know, and later died. Um, so no, I mean, I, you know, I really didn't have a clue. You know, um, I did love making money. I did know that if you went to the swap meet and you could, kept on looking for silver spoons and stuff like that, um, uh, if you get those real cheap, my bro, I, my brother had a fake ID. He could sell them at the pawn shop. <laughs> <laughs> and I get like four or five bucks a piece for him. So I used to do that all the time on the weekends.
0: But that exposure to that business, yeah, and you knew that that pawn shop was going to make money when he sold it as well. Yeah,
1: yeah. So my dad had a little coin shop. He bought and sold stuff. I really wanted a pawn shop. I knew that was all the money it was. Most people don't want to sell their stuff; they want to get a loan. Uh-oh.
0: Right. So, so you really purposefully said, "I want to go into the pawn business."
1: I want. I want to go in the pawn business. I love. I love dealing with the antiques and all the different weird things. Yeah. And it's definitely not a. It's not like working on an assembly line all day long.
0: So, so, so uh, uh, because of your love of artifacts and history, you have a real appreciation for what everybody brings to the store, which comes through on TV big time.
1: Uh, I mean, your eyes light up when you uh, see something. Well, of these oh, no, things. I really do love this stuff. I am a super nerd. Okay, I mean, I, I mean, I've had r- huge name celebrities call me up and going like, "Who's this?" <laughs> Because to this day, I just read every night. I don't watch television. Um, I tell people television is like hot dogs. You really like it, too. You see how it's made. Uh.
0: <laughs> Good point. We know that well, don't we? Yeah. So, so what, what's amazing to me is, is how I see this really just starting with this book and this mentality of yours to schemes and make money. Your love of making the money, going into eBay, doing business with pawn shops, suddenly going to the pawn shop business. Is that a tough business to go into? Did you make money?
1: Uh, Right away. Um, well, uh, at first, it was really difficult because, like in a pawn shop, you're, when you first start, just money's just going out on loans, and you're not a right. lot coming in. And there's a ton of stuff you got to know, and it's really there's. Do you, you
0: have, have to capitalize it yourself in your business, or will a bank work with you in the beginning?
1: Um, there, it, there's. It's definitely hard to get cap financing with it. you. It's high get, risk. Well, not only that, you can't get a small business loan for it because uh, SBA will not loan you money if you're going to loan it to someone else.
0: Oh, uh, it's, it's a little
1: that. loop. It's a punch. It's not
0: right. 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 You're it, not allowed to relend.
1: It, yeah. It's a, uh, they don't want a whitewater situation. Yep. Yep, <laughs> yep. Well, that makes sense. You
0: can't argue with them for that. So that's fascinating. So, so now you open a pawn shop and you start looking at these things and you start giving people money. Yeah. Was and, that a little scary in the beginning? Uh,
1: it was, you know, um, you know, cause I'd always, my dad had a little coin shop, bought and sold stuff at a jewelry store. Uh, you know, it was difficult. There's always people always trying to scam you. Um, you have to, there's a million and one little things you have to know, uh, and I know I used to have to go to the library every Saturday and like research stuff because remember back then there wasn't an internet, right?
0: Exactly. <laughs> wow. So you'd yeah. sit in the library and that's how you'd learn about. Uh, these I'd things. learn
1: all kinds of stuff. I remember once I bought um, um I knew they were photograves. It's a an expensive photo process way back in the day of American Indians, and uh, so I bought some. You know, I bought some of my for like fifty bucks a piece because I had no idea what they what they were. The lady didn't have you know, and then. Um, so it turns out there were uh, Edward Curtis photograves, and they were all the negatives were in the Smithsonian. Uh, I did really, really well in that. I just knew for a fact wow. that anything old American Indian was worth money, and uh, like, and I, like I said, I made money off that because I had read books that that's worth money. And my entire life, I just, I love so, to read, and I don't read, I don't read fiction. It's just really, really boring history and right. physics and things. I'm like, like
0: you. That. I read a lot of biographies. I, I love the human condition and, and reading about people. And fantasy just doesn't work for me so much. Yeah. So, so, okay, you got the pawn shop, you're making a couple of bucks, you're doing tra- – was there one transaction where you said to yourself, you went home that night, said, okay, this is freaking working now. This is <laughs> – is there one moment that you can remember when you realized to yourself, wow, this is working?
1: Um, yeah, it was uh, – it was – You know, I remember when uh, – you because know, from the get-go, I mean, there was like – you take all the big pawn shops in-, in this town anyway. They're owned by massive chains. Uh <laughs> Like Easy Corp's got like a thousand right. uh, stores. Cash yep. America's got like a thousand stores. I couldn't compete against Walmart. So I had to be Tiffany's. Right. Yeah. And uh, I remember. But you had a good vocation. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember uh, uh, the problem, one thing that I knew I was so much better than all the other people is when a guy came in with a 1930s. Um, now I'm having a. German camera, uh... Uh, uh Leica? Yeah, Leica, yeah. Yeah. Hasselblad 19, or... A nineteen thirties Leica, yep. uh great shape and everything like that. Yeah. You know, we wanted to borrow a thousand bucks i am yeah, yeah, no problem. He goes, I just been to four pawn shops and they said they don't take these things.
0: <laughs> but you saw the
1: money. Oh yeah, and then um you know early on I said, you know what, I always I always want the place immaculately clean. I want like at least one or two Picassos or Renoirs on the wall. I mean, yep. This is going to be different than any other pawn shop. So you positioned yourself It was very strategic actually. Yeah. Did you realize you were being strategic back then? <laughs> I I <laughs> I I wanted to be better than the rest. I wanted people walked to my pawn shop. They knew what I was do- they knew I was honest. They knew what I was doing. Yeah. Um and uh in the end, that's why I was just so much better than all the other ones. I knew what I was doing, and I had a better play.
0: You know? Also, you became an expert, respected. So people know if they had something, they should bring it to you. Yeah, because you know you you have the knowledge base to give. You know what the hell is this, Rick? Yeah, you know I went to you with with some stuff that I found, and, and you know your answers and and knowledge is remarkable. So why would I bring it to anyone
1: else? It makes no sense. You know, and I knew from the beginning. Be super honest with all your customers, because in the end, cause if the, the day you rip somebody off. You know, through six degrees of separation, almost everybody on the planet know you're. Don't yeah. do business with this guy. Yeah. If you're really, really honest with them, that's only like two degrees of separation. <laughs> But you know, so if, yeah, it's just a fact of life. No, but be super honest with your customers mm-hmm. and be straightforward with with everybody. And um,
0: and I like that in porn stars. I like when you know, something this is appraised at twelve thousand dollars. Well, I want twelve thousand dollars. I got to make money. So yeah, I mean, yeah. you, you're really honest with them and saying, you know, I'm, if I get to twelve, great. But you know, so you, you do expose, you know, that I'm going to make money. This is how much money I need yeah, to I make. Mean, it's
1: it's a you know, it's very very simple. I mean, it's a, very have, transparent. Yeah, and uh, hopefully I teach a few people about capitalism because our yeah. current school system teaches nothing about it besides that it's evil.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, 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 we're working on a TV special on capitalism with Cavuto right now, which we'll talk about. But I completely agree with you, Rick. They're taught how to be dependent. They're taught how to have a certain entitlement. Yeah. But you and I knew we had to make our own money. We knew that growing yeah. up. We had to make this happen for ourselves. I got a couple of questions that I've always wanted to ask you over the years. Sure. Uh, I I've I had the honor of meeting your dad. I've had mm-hmm. the honor of meeting Corey and your family. And, and was there a transaction in the early days of the porn shop where you said to yourself, holy shit, did I blow this? Oh, Were there oh, any yeah. rude no. awakenings?
1: Oh, no, there was plenty of them. Uh, I'd love to hear one oh, story. Oh, no, it was like in the early 90s. There was some... Uh, I think they started doing it in Hong Kong. They were taking, uh, like, 1970s Rolexes, okay? They take the movement out, put it on aftermarket dial, aftermarket hands, and then make an 18-carat gold case. Oh, literally. I mean, I they're know. literally $2,500 into this 20000 20, I mean, this isn't just some cheap little fake. They're $2,500 into... Vegas. And it's gold. And it's gold. It's everything. So you pop open the back. Oh, yeah, it's all Rolex. Okay. And then find out that that's the only part that's Rolex, and yeah, wow. I know. So I got burned on uh, six of those over the course of a month. Shh. You know, and it cost me like fifty grand. Wow. Uh, when I that, no, but uh, you live and you learn, and like uh, you know, like nowadays, I, I explain to all the guys that work for me, go through everything. Is this right? This right? This. If one thing's wrong? There's a problem.
0: Right. That one thing takes it down. You know, we all love you, Dad. Oh, you know, uh, he was
1: a, he was an amazing guy.
0: He really was and, and I, I've often wondered, you know, having his life and I know he loved his cars. Yeah. What did he collect? Were there things in his home that over the years were special to him?
1: Um he had a lot of guns. He had um
0: old loved, Civil War guns collector pieces, things yeah. like that.
1: Yeah. Um and um he loved his cars. He just yeah. loved his cars. He had You too. Yeah, I probably had like he had he had like thirty old cars. Really? Yeah. The,
0: did he tinker with them and play with them himself? Well, I
1: tinkered with them and played with them some himself. Most of the work he had done, but he loved to drive like his old cars. I mean, I can't tell you how many times he I got a phone call saying, "You got to come pick me up." The cars broke down. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, so, if I were to walk in your house, uh-huh. which which you've invited me, but I haven't had a chance to do it yet, what are the things that you're most proud of that come from your love of artifacts and things?
1: Okay, so like my uh, the favorite thing I the big thing I collect I collect um, I collect books. And I generally prefer the ones that were banned by the Catholic Church. Uh, well, so I have I have, yep. I have uh, a ton of books that were literally you would have been burned at the stake for owning. Controversial, yeah. More, uh, yeah so I had I have uh, a lot of books on alchemy. Hmm. Um, I have uh, like uh, the Theatrum Chemicum Britannicum, the first that was the first uh, alchemy book written in English. Because wow. back in the 1600s, it just wasn't profitable to write print a book <laughs> print a book in English because. If you were educated, you spoke Latin and you spoke French. So most printers would print it in Latin or French. That way they could sell it to all of Europe, not just England. Um, And it was really – because the penalty for um, practicing alchemy back then was to be hung from gilded gallows. Because the treasury – they didn't understand physics or chemistry really. So they thought if you could manufacture gold, all the gold the uh, treasury would be worthless. So uh, that's why it was illegal. Um, So (laughs) this is – I mean it's a – 300-page book, and it's entirely written in prose to get wow. around the laws. Because, like, uh, if the man is of sulfur and the woman is of mercury, through hot, passionate love, they create a golden child. Wow. And the Fascinating. En- the entire books are written like that. I have um, the Elixir Vital from 1602. It has all the formulas for immortality. Wow. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so how's that working out?
1: Uh, uh, the author's dead. Uh, <laughs> But I have a ton of weird stuff. I have like I have some maps of the island of California in my house. So your
0: books are real important. Your maps are important. Yeah. You have the a gun com- collection, too. What's that? You have a gun collection, as well. You uh, love historic weapons, right? Oh, yeah.
1: I have um, a lot of guns. I just, uh, right. As a matter of fact, uh, I just bought two 1697 cannons. Wow. Yeah.
0: So uh, you love something that has a story connected to
1: it. It's got to have a story. Everyone loves a story. I mean, like, yeah. if you take any really expensive antique you know something that sells at christie's for a million dollars you're buying the story right
0: that's we, right and who owned it previously and where it's who, been and, who,
1: and how it was made and why right. it was made and where you know it's uh it's always that story
0: okay let's go to pawn stars so you open a pawn shop you're doing well you and your family's making money things are going well and uh when did you get this idea that you wanted to be on tv
1: okay so uh Really early, not just probably like five or six years after I opened the pawn shop, I got this great idea to put "World Famous" on the side of the on the side of the building, and people will say, "Oh, why is it World Famous?" I say, "Because it says so on the side of the building." Right.
0: <laughs> in small print, it said "Soon yeah. too."
1: Yeah, and then um, and like uh, like I said, I was way different than the other pawn shops. You know, I uh, I had Super Bowl rings in there, I had Picasso's yeah. and all. The ball. So I kept on getting uh, like you know national news stories about me and things like that and uh, because for lack of a better term i always was a media whore yep you've told uh, me that before you <laughs> love
0: so, so but you had an interesting business that would get you in front of the media
1: yeah so i uh like 14 years ago i'm thinking like you know i should give me one of these reality shows if i get a season or two it'd be great for business and i kept on i for four years i kept on pitching the show i think i um i pitched it to 17 different production companies what was
0: the original name of pawn stars
1: uh there was god like Vegas Pawn. There, there was a bunch of different ones. Actually, an intern at Left Field Pictures actually came up with the uh, term Pawn Stars. It's a great name. Yeah. It's one of the
0: best names on TV.
1: And uh, my, we had the highest rated premiere ever in the, in the history of History Channel. And I really truly that believe that's because people were going through their cable guide and thought it said something else. <laughs> but they looked. Yeah, they looked. And, and, uh, and you kept them.
0: Because what a lot of people don't know is in the television world, uh, Rick and I are rated by quarter hours. And they look at our show in quarter hours. So your new porn stars is an hour long. So if the first quarter hour has a lot of viewers, but the last quarter hour doesn't, then we didn't do a good job creating compelling television. So, so when you look at, at a television show, uh, 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 you have to keep people for the entire show. They can't tune in and tune out. So even though they thought it was something else, they stayed.
1: Yeah, they stayed. And you wound
0: up being the number one show on the network.
1: I ended up being the number one show on cable there for, uh, Right around a year, and yep. um, now I'm, I, and to this day, I'm still on the air, and I got a I'm on in 150 countries, 38 languages.
0: Wow. So, what Rick's show is actually called in the television business is a pole show, and it's called the tentpole show because his pole holds up the whole freaking network sometimes. <laughs> and I could say that my show is the same on my network that you know the two of us have just dominated. If you go to History Channel. How many hours a week are you on sometimes?
1: Um, There has been times where uh, I remember once I was 22% of their programming for the entire week.
0: Yeah, I've been at that too with the Sunday marathons and you have marathons. So what's amazing about television is that when you watch Rick Harrison, Chumley, Corey, when you watch them again and again and watch an episode you've already watched and people are watching you two, three, four, five times, that isn't about the television show. That's about Rick. That's about the relationship that you've created with the audience. I love watching it, buddy. I watch you all the time, and and you're my friend. And I'll watch episode I've watched again and again because I love the interaction. You've connected with America. Well, it's powerful.
1: Well, well, I think people love to learn; they really, truly do. They just don't want to hear it from a professor. They want to hear it from their uncle.
0: But, but I've heard it all. I saw the show, and, and I'm watching it again. And-, and I know what the artifact is. But it's still fun to watch you, and it's fun to watch your interactions. You yeah. know, w- with Corey and a fan. In any event, you know, my just hats off to you because people don't know getting on TV is one thing, staying on TV is another. Yeah. And Rick has been on TV ten years now,
1: almost ten years. I'm a filming my fifteenth season. I uh, and uh for over the years, I've had plenty of producers, like, you know, you know, wanted, wanted to, like, want more drama. I'm going, like, I'll never make a television show. I would be embarrassed for my mother to watch.
0: I wish I could say that. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> my mother actually loved my show. You know, the trick is you're honest. Yeah. You're just an honest guy, and so am I. There's something about Rick, a little secret that I'm not sure people know about you, that you'll be happy I did. If Rick has the greatest business cards in America <laughs> and tell everybody what's on the back of your business cards.
1: Well, I have a bunch of different quotes from, uh, the founding fathers and
0: every card is different because yeah. I have a few of them from over the years. Yeah. So it's not one quote that he prints on 500 cards. He actually has identified founding fathers quotes yeah. and you got a bunch of them on your cards. Well, yeah.
1: Like, uh, like there's a I I have one, like one says George Mason, uh, he, he's the father of the bill of rights mm-hmm. and, uh, and it's a great quote from him. It's like, so who are the who are uh, the men of the militia? All the men of this country, except for a few select politicians. <laughs> well said, especially yeah. today. Yeah. Boy, those are poignant words today. Yeah, yeah. or ben, Benjamin Franklin. Uh, beer is uh, proof that God wants us to be happy. Uh.
0: <laughs> I also love uh, uh, that you are such a patriot, buddy. Um, you are. And, and, you know, put political beefs aside, left, right, you know, middle. That doesn't matter for the purpose of this moment. What matters is your love of this country and, and the time and commitment that you put into your beliefs. Yeah. It, it's, it's wonderful, buddy. Yeah. And, and more people need to be civic-minded like you. Get involved. Speak their minds. Yeah. up, Do it respectfully. Yeah. Do it in a way that communicates message and values. And you do that, Rick. And you well, touch I mean, people when you do.
1: I mean, we have we have a media now that it's just it's it's you know bomb throwing, uh, you know, it's bomb throwing news. So it's not really news. I mean, literally, you've gotten to the point where you've got networks like CNN or just it's, um I, I, I literally had br- I believe the National Enquirer before I believe CNN anymore. Um, no, I mean it's there. You can be civil. I mean, I, you know, I uh, you know I, I spoke at CPAC. I don't think I said one bad thing about Democrats. I just. Look, put the facts out there whether we need to educate children more about about business, about capitalism, about we how you can this, argue with that. Um <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean uh, I you know, I also I go out to high schools and like they give me you know, I talk to I talk to you know, I go to troubled high schools and I speak. Um and I explain to them, Hey, you guys wanna be ballers? Because I talked to him. I worked in a pawn shop my whole life. I can talk to people. You know how to be a tough guy when you want to be. Yeah, and I just say, hey, you guys want to be a ball? You want the cool car? You want the cool pad? You want all this other stuff? Don't do drugs. Get a good education. Don't have kids out of wedlock. You just re- reduced your chances of being in, in poverty by 95%. Three things. Okay, and like the second I say, well, don't have kids out of wedlock, it's like, oh, my – you know, I literally – you see the school administrators freaking out. There's not a problem with that, okay? Right. So, you know, if you are a single parent, you're you going to be you're going to be broke. You're going to be you're poor.
0: Cutting one of your legs off, so to speak. Yeah, you I, are,
1: yeah. Are you um, now you have basically half the money to raise a kid, and it's uh, and half the time
0: to get your life together.
1: Okay? And um, I explain that whether you're a young man or a young woman, either way, you're going to be completely broke. Because if you're a young man, trust me. They will eventually get you for child support. It will be taken out of every paycheck you get for the next 20 years. Okay? And um, your child is going to have a much tougher life without both parents in the house.
0: And, and you send that message consistently all the time. It's important, Rick. And, and what people don't know is all the time that you put into to this cause of yours to try to, to help the values of our country. And, buddy, I love you for that.
1: Well, well know, thanks for having me. I mean, no, it's... Um, I have
0: one more question for you.
1: Two more, maybe. I don't know why I'm this pretty. That was the question. No, how do you stay
0: so young? That was the question. I don't know. <laughs> uh, uh, what's next? I mean, you have a hit TV show. You've got a great business. You're a legend in Las Vegas. Everybody loves you in this town. You're a national celebrity. I've seen videos of you in Brazil in malls with 30,000 people going crazy and stuff. So, so
1: what's next for you? Um, I don't know. I, I, as long as I'm, ha- I, you know, I love doing the TV show. I really do. I love giving history lessons. Yeah. Um, I have, uh, I don't know, it's going to be a little weird because here in a couple of years we're going to be an empty nester and me and Deanna have six kids. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, I still enjoy stuff. I go to my ranch, I go up there for, you know, I, uh, Rick uh, has
0: a beautiful ranch up, up the yeah, Northwest. Yeah. Rides his motorcycle up there back
1: and forth. Um, yeah, no, so just continue to enjoy life. Life is amazing, it's short. Take the advantage of it. Um, three weeks ago, I was 25 years old. <laughs> it seems that way sometimes. Right. No, right. and um, I just want to have a great life. I still do tons of stuff for, you know, Las Vegas. I'm on the board director, National Board of Directors of the Epilepsy Foundation. I do a bunch of work with them. I do a bunch of different charity work. I, it, uh, it's going to buy me can, a better place in hell. And, your, uh... <laughs> your
0: work with Epilepsy Foundation is really important. Is there a website address that you can give it, everybody? It's at
1: epilepsy.com, um, and every year I have uh, – one of the biggest motorcycle runs in Nevada, and uh, we we raise money for the Epilepsy Foundation. And the money I raise in Nevada stays in Nevada. which uh, pays everything from doctor visits to kids for their medication. Um, no, I just um, I I love life. I love this country. This really is the greatest place in the world to live. In the, in the history of the world, that, that this time right now in history, the United States is the greatest place in the world to live. Right today. Right okay, now. I, I've been everywhere. I've I've. I've been to, I've been to India. I've been to all over Europe. I've been all over Asia.
0: And all you want to do is come and they, home. And
1: they all want to come here.
0: I'm with you. You know, I was reading a statistic on Varney the other day that that uh, 879 thousand small business apps were filed last quarter. Yeah. I mean, this is boomtown today. Well, and you know, this is the time that we should all be jumping forward and stuff. Rick, what would you say to that 14 year old boy, 16 year old boy, who has his version of some something holding him back and is worried that he might not live as long. What would you say to that well, I mean, kid that yeah, d- inspired you to be so successful? Don't give up.
1: You know what? I mean uh, f everybody else just you, you can do it. Yeah. You know so, um you know what and this is the other great thing about this country just about any other country in the world you go bankrupt once you'll never get another loan you'll never I mean you are you're ruined for life. This is, this is the one country where you can fail ten times and still go right back there and do it. Henry Ford declared bankruptcy before he started Ford
0: it's 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 and there's a number of other stories like that where bankruptcy has been filed uh 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 this guy named perkins perkins Pan- pancake has filed bankruptcy 3 4 times uh uh you speak about something that's really really powerful so no matter what happens bankruptcy knockdown, down physical ailments disease the fact of the matter is you just got to fight through it every day but if you don't you have nothing to hold yeah, on to don't lay down. Uh, well,
1: yeah never lay down yeah.
0: So, so, uh, uh, what are we going to see coming up in Porn Stars? I know you're changing uh, the format a little.
1: I'm going to be an hour long now instead of a half hour long. Great. Uh, so you get to see more of my beautiful face. <laughs> <laughs> more Chubb, more Corey. Uh, no, it, it's, um, I, um, uh, I'm going to do a lot of, you know, do, I, I'm, we're calling them deeper dives where I just talk a whole lot more history about certain things, which we love. Um, and, um, uh, so you know, the same but different. And, uh, it's still a family show. There's this. It will never be Jersey Shore. Uh, <laughs> What's your goal
0: for the store? Is your goal to leave it to Corey one day? Um, I don't know.
1: Uh, I'm still riding along. You know, I got six kids, so yeah, yeah and three grandkids. Yeah. So, uh, um, you know, and uh, so I, I don't know. For now, I'm having a great time. Uh, something happens to me. It goes to my wife. So, <laughs> <laughs>
0: who's, who's quite beautiful, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, she's beautiful. She's uh, the and most a real a amazing
1: person in the world. Well, she Keeps straight, me in line.
0: She straightened your ass out. That's what <laughs> she going to say. Right? <laughs> So, so Rick, thank you for being here. I wanted Rick to be here because I want everybody to hear his story, you know, of moving. His family has some struggles in real estate, coming out here, starting over again, reinventing yourself three or four times, buddy, yeah. to create, and then reinventing yourself again to be on TV. You're the epitome of success for three reasons. I think that you're a really good man, Rick. I think that you have great values that you really share with everyone. You're extremely charitable, and you're a great example, for us all. Thanks for being here, buddy.
1: Thanks for having me, man.
0: You know, Casey, I sort of hate buying a car. Oh, me too. I mean, you don't know if they're being straight with you. You know, are you you getting the right price? Uh, 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 Is the interest rate right? Is the deal right? It's really frustrating. It's a lot of freaking money. If you screw it up, you can really impact your wallet big time. So if you're looking to buy a car, you're probably familiar with terms like MSRP. You might even know what it stands for. But what does it actually mean? The same goes for invoice, list price, dealer price. It's enough to confuse anybody. I don't even understand what the hell it means. If you're really looking for a price that actually means something, introducing true price from true car. Now you can know exactly what you'll pay for the car you want, including fees and accessories, before you even get to the dealership. True car dealers will show how to get the true price on cars like the one you want all from the comfort of home. And how do you know if your true price is a great price? Because True Car shows you what other people paid for the same car that you want. And your certified dealers know this, so they set their true price competitively so that they can win your business. So when you're ready to buy a new or a used car, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. Speaking of good people, Shut buddy, I think it's time for my favorite part of No Excuses. Shut it Call down. Segment. <laughs> uh, you know it. So, this part of the show is where I talk to you. And I'd love to talk to all of you. I love to hear your opinions, what you have to say. I love when you challenge me. So, if you'd like to be on the show, just send an email to podcast at johntafford.com. That's podcast at johntafford.com. And Casey or Corey, our producer, will get in touch with you. We'll set you up. You'll be on the show. And we can talk. And not only can we talk, but everybody, you get to listen to you. So, so I really hope you send me an email today because the more callers, uh, uh, the better. It is my favorite part of the show. So, KC, who, who we got, buddy?
2: John, we've got uh, Aaron and Jeff from Ohio on the line. They're small business owners who could really use your help and expertise. Hey, guys, how are you? Good, good. Okay. What business are you in,
3: John? We are uh, we're in the manufacturing business. Um, we make uh, aftermarket accessories for the ATVs and side-by-sides, which are like those Polaris Razor, like yep. Doom Buggy-looking vehicles.
0: That's an active market. Sales are up in that category, aren't they?
3: Yeah, yeah. We're, it's definitely turning into a, uh, a big business uh, where we're having trouble, since we do everything in-house, you know, all the way from the engineering to the manufacturing to the sales you know, we're just having we're, our biggest problems is getting funding from the banks, you know, with, uh, you know, having enough line of credit to keep enough products in stock to hit all of the, uh, you know, the, to, when somebody calls, they want the products tomorrow.
0: I get it. You are at a capital intensive business. It takes you time to engineer it. That's time and money. Then you have to go buy the materials. You have to produce it. You have to have enough inventory because if somebody likes your product and they call three or four times and it's not available, They'll stop calling you for the fourth or fifth time if you don't have it. So you have to have that product available, which means you have a high materials cost that's money sitting. You have a high inventory cost that's money sitting. You have a high uh-huh. development cost that's money out on payroll and engineering and all of that. You've got a lot of dollars in vested before you get a lot of money back. Is oh, you're just-
3: exactly right. Just with the equipment alone, we have over, we probably have around a million and a half just with facility and equipment. And then you know we really need to have about a million to two million dollars worth of inventory, you know, on the shelf. So you're you're exactly right.
0: So are you selling direct to consumers? Are you selling through dealers? Or what is your strategy?
3: Well, right now, currently, we've done all three. We've had a we've done our business about seven or eight years ago used to be split up in four four uh, categories. Like so, it was like 25 percent of our business was overseas. 25 percent was the distributors and then 25% was to dealers directly, and then 25% was just website and retail uh, sales. And now I think the Internet business over time has kind of slowed the, the distributor factor up. And we, what we loved about working with distributors was – you would sell at a lot bigger discount, but the, uh, they would have, they would have the burden of the inventory, you know, stocking all the, you know, the inventory. So that was a good thing. It was worth the, it was worth the giving up more percentage, but now the dealers are just coming to us directly and wanting the product. Um, but the, but the dealers, the problem with the dealers is, is they don't have a lot of money to, to have a bunch of inventory on hand as well. So, you know, they want to kind of just buy the stuff to order which makes, you know, uh, the, the once again, the burden of the inventory cost is back on our shoulders. So we've I mean, been kind of toying around with the retail market, trying to get, you know, when people search on Google and uh, other, you know, avenues on the Internet, to kind of think of us and, and buy from us on there. And that's, once again, it takes a lot of money to make the money, you know.
0: So uh, let me tell you a story that I think would be meaningful to you. A couple of years ago, I helped a friend who was in a very similar situation to this. Uh, They're actually entering the vapor, the vape business. So they had mm-hmm. a back units, create, you know, machine shop, produced these products for these uh, uh, cigar styled vaporizers. And she had a huge cost and wanted to do it in America. And, you know, it was a new idea. It wasn't easy to find investors in this and that. And we put together a, what we called a, an equity factoring deal. And what we did is we would offer an investor 20 percent equity in the company. And they would provide the capital for order fulfillment. In other words, if we got, received an order for a hundred thousand dollars worth of or a million dollars worth of uh, product, they would write that check so that we could facilitate that product, and they would be reimbursed from that receivable. So, in essence, we gave out equity for credit line based upon actual sales activity. So, the investor's not at risk. We're only give, he's only giving money when orders come in, so they could they could be relating to inventory replenishment. They could be relating to fulfilling particular orders that are coming in, but in essence, he only writes the check when there's a value related to that tra- check, either in inventory fulfillment or an inventory ordering, or an ordering, and it's a really fascinating way to structure an investment. He winds up with his equity, but the debt is all short-term. As the dollars come in, it goes back to him. The company still retains its traditional margin on products; it's just factoring out the receivable, in essence. And it's an interesting way to structure a deal for a company like yours. Have you ever looked at something like that?
3: No, we have not. That's, uh, that's uh, we we looked at it. We looked at it, but we not to that level. Like we um, we started this. It's kind of funny you bring that up, but we started this consignment program with our dealers. To where we, we found out that like there's 1800 dealerships in the United States. So we found out one of these builds that we do are right around about four, $4,000 retail value. So these, uh, you know, the product that we'd be selling to those guys would be around $2,500 or so. And we were, we got to the point where we said, well, let's do some consignments. And we were, uh, we got a bunch of these consignments out like $100,000 two months ago of consignments out. To all these dealers and then they would put the product on the unit and then when some customer would come in they would compare the unit that had the product against the unit that didn't and then they would end up probably going with our products and then financing the whole unit doing that and we we ran out of money quickly because you know we didn't have that 100 grand coming back in it could take up to 90 to 120 days to get that back but what you're talking about here would be would really work very well with that kind of a concept
0: so, in essence, that partner holds that paper for those 90 days for you. And, uh, you know, we call it an equity kicker. It's a great motivator.
3: Yeah, that's a good idea. I never would have thought about that.
0: Well, I hope it's helpful. and I have huge respect for, for you, uh, both of you, and your dad, for jumping into an industry like this. It's a tough industry where you're producing everything yourself, engineering everything yourself. I can think of nothing that's more self-accountable. Uh, uh, than doing that, what you're doing, Jeff. So hats off to you, my friend. I hope this is helpful. And give us a call back and let us know how you do.
3: Okay, we will do. We'll check back in with you. I like that idea. I appreciate the, the time with us. My pleasure. Take care.
2: All right, John, let's go over to Lynn Brown. She's in Trafford, Alabama. She's had a home daycare center for 23 years, and she got hit with a huge fire marshal bill that threatened to shut her down, and she needs some help. Oh, boy. Hey, Hi, Lynn. Hey,
0: John, how are you? I'm good. Boy, you sort of got nailed, huh?
4: We got our hands full.
0: So how long have you had the daycare center?
4: I've had it 23 years in April.
0: Oh, my gosh. So yes. so hundreds and hundreds of children, have been, a ch- child, have been in your care over these years.
4: Yes, it's been amazing.
0: Uh, and you've touched a lot of lives. Well, first of all, uh, congratulations for that because I'm guessing you created a lot of great memories for a lot of children. And yes, we have, for us, too. Yep. So what's 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 going on when you're in an older building and a fire marshal came in? Tell me the story.
4: Uh, we run the daycare out of our home. I started it 23 years ago when I divorced with both of my daughters. Started it as a single mom. Uh, we target low-income parents. We charge like $85 a week. That's all we charge. We provide three meals per day. We've got inspections every year. We've aced every one of them. We haven't had upgrades from the fire marshal in over 10 years. So they come in all at once, and he hits us with all of these repairs that we had no idea that what come kind of th- into play with the new guidelines.
0: What kind of stuff?
4: So they're, gi- they're giving us a couple months, or they're going to pull our license.
0: So what kind of violations did they get you on?
4: Well, our home, it was built over 60 years ago, so we have paneling on the walls. It's been painted over the years and updated. But he says that's a fire hazard, so we've got to replace that and put in either sheetrock or or paint it with fire-resistant paint. That stuff runs $95 a gallon. (laughs) We've got to put in new electrical for the fire alarms. Our requirements, in the beginning, we had to have one that was wired in, and the rest were battery-operated. But That's no longer the case. They all have to be wired in. And then our heating system is natural gas. We can no longer have that. It's got to be vented natural gas. So that's our three biggies right there.
0: That's probably about uh, $25,000, $30,000 right there.
4: Uh, the way we have figured it with some of the people we got that are volunteering, we figure no more than $6,000. Wow. I mean, all we got to do is buy the equipment, and we've got volunteers that are going to put it in. Licensed electricians. all of that have volunteered to do the work.
0: So let me ask you a question. Let me give you an idea. There's hundreds of parents who you've come through for over the years, aren't there, in your community? Correct. That you've provided them with important daycare so they could go to work. They entrusted their child to you. They stayed with you for yes. years. Child grew up and they moved on, right? Correct. I think you should do an event. And I think you should. Honey, let me
4: tell you, I just did that. We've done, I've done fundraisers for the past three months, even for the entire community. What kind we of raise fundraiser? We raised money to rebuild our community park because there's only one. That park is going in the end of December. We raised the money. We did events for the fire department, the daycare did. We raised the money they needed. So I posted an event, did a GoFundMe account, and not one single person donated.
0: Okay, here's what I think you should do. I think you should create a new walkway for your house with bricks. And I think those bricks should have people's names on them. Oh, wow. And I think you should sell a brick for $25 to previous families who have stayed at your unit, at your facility. I think you should hit wow. local businesses. And I think you can buy a brick for twenty or twenty five dollars with your name on it. And I can then do the entire walkway to front of your house with those bricks with everybody's names of our sponsors and supporters. That's now I'm not idea. going to a GoFundMe. It's only twenty, twenty five dollars at a time. I can send people out to sell the bricks. We can uh, involve local businesses. Would you buy one brick? Would you buy two bricks? Buy a brick to support our kids. Buy a brick to support our community. I think you could create a buy a brick program, and I just made that up. I've never heard buy a brick before. And I think that you could raise the dollars that way in a very simple sense. What do you think?
4: Wow. I love this idea. I'm writing this down as you're telling me. That's amazing. I should have thought of that.
0: So, so I think you can send people out, little slips, buy a brick, buy a brick. You could have a big unveiling ceremony with all the sponsors. Uh, and everybody who ever walks their kid in, into your home will walk past and on those bricks forever. Great idea. Give it a shot, Lynn, because it, it certainly doesn't cost you much to try. And I bet you can raise the money that way. You know, $20, $25 at a time. Uh, uh, I think right. people support you. I would do that for the, for the daycare center that took care of, of my daughter. And make sure that it remains for the next generation. So give that a try. Send us a note in a few weeks and let us know how you do, okay?
4: I will do. Thank you very much.
0: Take care, Carolyn.
2: All right, John, let's go over to uh, Mike in Syracuse, who uh, is in a weird place in his life. He's in a rut right now, and he really needs help in just kind of getting out of the space he's stuck in in life.
5: Hey, Mike, how you doing? Not too bad.
2: What's going on, buddy?
5: Well, uh, the job I'm currently at, it's not not my career aspiration, it's it's a, it's a an important job. I work uh, security for an energy provider, um, but I've kind of lost my passion for it. I mean, it wasn't really my passion to begin with, uh, but it has provided me a lot of opportunities I wouldn't have had otherwise, it, it does pay very well. I'm currently finishing up my bachelor's degree because that is a, a vital piece of paper that a lot of places require for employment now. I got about three classes left. I'll be done in April. And, uh, I've always seemed to be more geared towards logistics. I just, something about the challenge of it. I'm more engaged. I like to, you know, be more hands on and, and think. And the current position I have right now at my job doesn't really offer me that. So I'm just trying to get some ideas as to, you know, a direction to go in, I guess, in that field once I'm done with school.
0: You know, I have a uh, a dear friend who's my director of security. His name is Rob Fodi, and he has a company called Fodi Consulting. And he was a guy like you, and he went and he took uh, various classes uh, uh, classes on asset protection, high asset value protection, which is, you know, individuals, executives, show business people, et cetera. And he got uh, uh, that part of it down. He took courses on Emergency situations, crisis situations, got himself eight or ten courses under his belt, started his consulting company, and and, uh, in about three years, he's up to $300,000, $400,000 a month. It's one of the greatest growth sectors in the country today. But, you know, there's different types of security. There's security consultants who you bring into a business who will give you, you know, what do you do in a crisis situation? What do you do with an active shooter? What do you do with this? You're strategic. And that seems to be you want to be a little more involved than standing around and and walking around and just looking and protecting assets. So who creates those plans? Who creates the protection programs for all the schools across the country? Those are consultants that have to assess those programs. Where does video go? Where does sound go? What happens on this doors? There is a whole area of security today that is strategic planning, crisis management, asset protection, living asset protection. It's a fascinating industry today. And maybe, Mike, if you enjoy you know, logistics, planning, seeing the pieces come together, all the pieces moving at once, uh-uh. I think maybe you stay in security, but get into that more sophisticated side of the business. W- would that excite you?
5: Yeah, I think it would. I never really thought of like a, a fusion, more or less, between the two the two areas. But I, I, I guess my point of view, just in my experience, has been just such a broad, vague view of security. I never really thought about it that in depth.
0: Yeah, there's, there's um, you know, there's uh, uh, ununiform security, that, but just the whole asset protection ability. I mean, I have to have security people around me these days. I never thought something like that would happen. We'll get all the security people around Congress that's never been. We'll get all the schools we have to protect now, all the churches and synagogues we have to protect now. So, you know, there's a huge opportunity for thinking security people who are consultants and create these evacuation plans, crisis management plans, and active shooter plans. Take a look at some of that, because I think you might find your love of logistics and planning uh, uh, exists right in your industry.
5: I'll have to do that. I'll have to uh, kind of poke around and see what classes you know I could pursue to, to go down that path. Like yeah. I said, I, I never even really thought about that.
0: It's really neat, and these programs are available, and they're really, really important today. So take a peek at that. that. That might be an opportunity for you. Look, you, you can really save lives and make a difference with that type of strategic security work, too.
5: Yeah, I'll definitely do that.
0: Great. Well, I hope it helps. Send me a note in a few weeks. Let me know how you did. Okay, Mike?
5: I will do it. I appreciate you having me on, John, especially. I appreciate your producer reaching out to me. Well, that
0: wraps it up for this week, buddy. Happy Halloween to everyone. You know, we've had a rough few weeks in this country. There's a lot of struggles going on and shootings, and Halloween should be a lot of fun. I know I'm looking forward to hearing that doorbell and opening the door and seeing those little kids. I hope everybody gets a lot of smiles this Halloween because we could all use some smiles. So do me a favor. Hit subscribe at Apple Podcasts. Go to PodcastOne.com or the Podcast One app. Do it now, and you'll get your new episodes every Tuesday. Also, don't forget I love when you call in. So please send an email to podcast at JohnTafford.com, and you could be on the show with me. I also want to thank my sponsors bet dsi my pillow quick and loans true car and linkedin and next week's i got a great guest kc i'm really excited about it from one of the most influential bands of their time the misfits i have michael graves next week so don't miss that we'll see you then
1: Thanks for listening to No Excuses with John Taffer on Podcast One. Download new episodes every Tuesday here on PodcastOne.com, the Podcast One app, and at Apple Podcasts. Make sure to rate and review. Shut it down!